Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are continuing our series, Not Ashamed, and uh, I've been really thankful and blessed by Stephen Reed and Michael Chappell who have uh, delivered the first two messages of this, and today we're looking at chapter three, and I am uh, really, really thinking about how do you finish? Um, Years ago, it hadn't been that many years ago, about three or four years ago, uh, near my hometown in eastern North Carolina, I saw a local, every now and then I'll check the local newspaper, get online and check it out, and a local cross-country match was taking place, which included my high school and, you know, several other rival high schools in the area, and the cross-country match was going really well, and if you don't know what cross-country is, it's just running but through the woods, you know, on dirt and hills and stuff like that, and so the courses aren't, it's not like running the track, you know, you know exactly where to go. If you get lost in a track race, then there's some issues we need to deal with. Um, but cross country is quite a bit different. It's all sorts of twists and turns through the woods and through trees, and every course is different. And so what happened was the leaders in this particular race got distracted and got lost. And the crazy thing was it was a couple of the people that were up front, it was their home track. But something had changed maybe, and they got off track. And so they took a wrong route, ended up running a longer distance, and other people went on and, and beat them. They were in the lead, but they ended up losing and being towards the back of the pack because they took the wrong turn and it probably unfortunately probably started with one you know one person kind of started to go the wrong way and the others were like well I guess he or she knows what they're doing so they took off and they went behind them and then it dawned on me um, I've shared with some of you guys before that in the past, I was a little bit of a runner. Uh, I ran a couple marathons. It's been a long time now, so I can't even really call myself a runner too much. But I, I, I trained and prepared for a couple of marathons. And my time, my goal was just to not die. That was basically it. I didn't want to die and then find my carcass laying on the side of the road. Uh, that was my goal. But um, when, when I finished, my time was not necessarily all that stellar. You know, there are people that run 26.2 miles in about two hours at a world-class speed. That's, that's unbelievable. But my time was not close to that. But then it dawned on me, I don't think that it was really my lack of running ability. I think what it was, was I actually ran too far. I probably ran 26.4 or 5 miles. And so my time was really bad looking because I ran longer than everybody else. That's, you guys agree with me? Man, y'all stink. Y'all can at least humor me, man. Be like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know how you do that person? You know? But the problem is, is that in life and in reality, many times we can get off course because we follow the wrong people. You know, you think you're following the right people. You think that they know where they're going, but they don't know exactly either. And sometimes that comes from a place of, I, I, I know where I'm going, and they really know they don't know the truth. They're deceptive. And then sometimes it comes from a place of ignorance. And I don't mean that really in a bad way. I just mean that's what it is, ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. And so they're out front, and you're following them, and other people are following them, and they get off course. And that can be anywhere on that spectrum. They can be really bad intention, or they can be really good intention, but the end result is the same. You and me and people following them get off course. So the question is, how do you know who to follow? How do you know who to follow? 
The Apostle Paul closes out chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, which is what we uh, looked at last week as, as Michael led us through that. He shared and reminded us that Timothy was, was told to correct his opponents with gentleness in hopes that they would repent and turn back to God. That's how Paul closes out that chapter. And he says not to be misled by the devil or the slanderer, if you will. And that's how Paul closes out chapter 2. But, okay, so he closes out chapter 2. Paul closes out chapter 2 and he says, make sure, you know, this is my paraphrase. He says, make sure that you don't get misled. Don't make, make sure you don't get off path, off track. Answer the people who oppose you with kindness, with gentleness, so you don't get off track and get dissuaded and persuaded by the devil. And so maybe Timothy's reading this letter for the first time. You know, this young preacher, he's reading this letter and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to answer with kindness and I'm going to stand up to the opponents of the truth and I'm going to do it in a kind and loving way so that they would repent and it's all going to be good. And then Paul does what oftentimes happened to us. When what, in what we call chapter 3, he starts off and he says, but, don't you love that? You know, you go for like a performance review at work and it's like, well, you know, you're doing really good. You're, you're being nice. You're showing up on time and you're like, oh, this is good. I'm going to get a raise. And he says, but mm, I don't like big butts and I cannot lie. You know, we don't, you know, we don't like that kind of thing. And he's like, it's, but there's a but that comes. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, but in chapter three, and we're going to look here. You can look on the screen or you can turn in second Timothy chapter three, uh, beginning in verse one. But what he's saying is, it's not going to be easy. Look at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Paul says, I want you to stand and, and love people with the truth, so to speak. Now, once again, this is my paraphrase. But I want you to love people with the truth. And I want you to do that so that they can repent. And he might be getting excited. And you and I, when we think of it in terms of us, we might be getting excited. But it's not going to be easy. He says, but in the last days... There will come times of difficulty. Now, there are a lot of people who, when you hear the phrase last days in terms of uh, Bible and Scripture, a lot of people like to take that and throw that way into the future. And they, then they spend the rest of their time looking and scouring through the Scripture and through the news and through websites figuring out what are the last days or when are the last days. But I would challenge you, if you look in the Bible, you would see that, guess what? Everybody check your watch. We're in the last days right now. We are in the last days right now. And here's just, this is a very in-depth thing, but I'll give you a couple places to show you from Scripture where I I believe that holds very true. In Acts chapter 2, the very first time the gospel is ever preached, Peter standing up as a spokesman for the other uh, 11 apostles, and they're preaching. And you remember they they spoke in the languages of everybody that was present there, and he preaches this message. And he references Joel from the Old Testament. And Joel has a, a, a saying in the scripture there. It says that in the last days your young men will dream dreams. And you know, forgive me if I, I messed that up a little bit. But it talks about they will speak in these languages and they will dream dreams and all this sort of things. People will prophesy. And Peter references that passage of scripture. And then he goes on to say that this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. 
So if Joel was talking about the last days and Peter at the beginning of the church says this has been fulfilled, we could understand that from there on out we are in the what? last days so let's not spend so much time wondering and searching and thinking okay now can i can i tell you something real quick many times not not every time but many times when people spend all their time and energy trying to figure out when the last days are honestly it comes a little bit from a place of that's when i know i need to get my stuff together but i got a secret You need to have your stuff together now. (laughs) I need to have my stuff together now because we are in the last days and we need to be prepared at any time for the return of the Lord and we need to be preparing other people for the return of the Lord. We need to be sharing with them the truth. And even more, Paul lets Timothy know that he's got to be prepared to encounter these last days behaviors of what we're going to read here in just a second. He described these days as difficult. And so the reason I bring that up is this. Paul's getting ready to go into this, this long list of behaviors that you will see in the last days. And he's telling Timothy, you, Timothy, need to be re- prepared for this. So at the very least, Timothy was going to experience the last days. And Timothy lived about 2,000 years before us. So we're not off the hook at all, are we? We need to understand that we are in the last days. He's letting him know these last days are going to be difficult. And he uses that word that's translated depending on which uh, translation you look at. This is the English Standard Version, I believe, is what I put on the screen. But, oh, go back, I'm sorry. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. When he uses that word, it's the Greek word halipos. Halipas. And that word is translated difficult or fierce. And let me tell you one other place that it's used in Scripture in the Gospels. It, it, it's very eye-opening for me, and maybe it will be for you. When it's talking about the two demon-possessed men, uh, the Gerasene demoniacs, there's two men that are in a uh, graveyard, and they're doing all kinds of crazy superhuman things. It talks about how strong they were and how terrifying they were, and guess what word it uses? Halipas, the same word used in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. So reason I point that out is when I read that, I don't know about y'all, but I don't like difficulty. I like things to be simple. I get frustrated when my remotes don't work correctly. I get frustrated when the pictures and videos flying through the air don't come directly into my phone device as quickly and smoothly as possible. I get mad when a video buffers. Y'all understand? Y'all understand that most people... 35 years ago would have no concept of videos going I mean you know it's only been a little over a hundred years that we have been flying through the air in planes and now they go supersonic now we fly into space I mean we're talking about this and so what I'm saying is this I don't like difficulty I like things to be easy and so when I read that word I'm tempted to say well maybe just maybe that means my internet will buffer as my sermon plays and that's the difficulty of these last days doggone it 
People at home, it might be lagging. That's the difficulty. But the word that's used in the Greek when it was originally written is the same word that's used to describe these fierce demoniacs, these demon-possessed men that were breaking chains and running around and biting people and hurting people and doing all sorts of things. The times of these last days can be very, very, very difficult. And so Paul is preparing this young preacher. He's saying, make sure you hold on. All right, you guys got to listen quicker. We're never going to get through this, okay? This is so much more than stub-toe difficult. This is battle difficult. And in verse 2, he gives them a little bit of a picture of what he's going to be dealing with and ultimately we will be dealing with. He says in verse 2, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Now, there's a lot of things here, and I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on each of these, but there's a few that I do want to point out. It starts off, if, if we're struggling with wondering, how does this apply to us? Look at the beginning of verse 2. For people will be what? Lovers of self. Is that true? If you don't think it's true, then you probably are struggling with it big time. <laughs> I think we all realize it's true, don't we? We all realize that lover, being a lover of ourselves is a raging problem. It is a pandemic. Being lovers of ourselves and putting ourselves first. And that's the idea that, that that word and that phrase in Greek carries is making yourself the first priority. But we know, we know deep down, at least if we don't know, we will know. We should know that when we put ourselves first, it never, ever satisfies, does it? I am blown away by the people who I would say have it all. Celebrities, you know, all, all sorts of people like that, people of great wealth. And then you either hear them say, I'm miserable. Or the way that you find out they're miserable is that you find out they've taken their own life. Money, fame, success, trying to please yourself first never ever fills the hole. It might for a moment, don't get me wrong. I mean, people wouldn't continually seek after it if it didn't feel good for a little bit. But it never ever fills that hole. And so lovers of self, we can absolutely know, yes, this is something that we are dealing with. And it's going on in our time and in this place. And, and it might be phrased in a lot of different ways. I, I used to remember hearing people say, look out for number one. That was something you heard a lot. I, a few generations back, they called them the me generation. I guess I'm thinking it's referring to the people who were adults in the 80s. And, and say, so, you know, they were the me generation. They worried about themselves and they took care of themselves and a lot of times their families fell apart and now maybe we say things like I'm going to get mine you know I'm going to look out for me and I'm going to take care of me and my felt my family and myself that never ever fills the hole it talks about being a lover of money we can absolutely understand that we know what that people struggle with that that we struggle with that it talks about being proud arrogant abusive and I want to pause there for just a second if you can't wrap your minds and I think you can if, but if you can't wrap your minds around lovers of self I think everybody's going to be on board with this one when I read the word abusive you know what pops into my brain Facebook <laughs> social media social media pops into my brain when I think abusive because I don't know if you guys have realized it but 
I have noticed a, t- a difference in the tone of our society since the uprising of social media. People have become more abusive in their speech toward other people because, number one, they can say it behind a screen and they don't have to look anybody in the eye. And they, don't, they lose the humanity of people. And so they can talk. If, if you disagree with me, I will, and we've always struggled with this, but I will attack not the issue, I'm going to attack you, but it becomes so much easier when you have a screen or two screens between you. And you don't have to look at the hurt and the pain. And you don't realize that that person laughs and that person cries and that person sheds tears and blood. And they have families that are hurting and we don't realize it. And so it's easy to become abusive. And you know what I've noticed in the past year and a half as we've been forced to be a little more separated and a little more, you know, uh, quarantined? Is that I've realized it seems to have flowed out of social media into our human interactions now. We did so much online for so long, now it does come out. And we talk hateful and we talk more abusive to one another. And I'm telling you, if you can't see any of these, I believe everybody can see this one. This is in the time, our last days that we're in, people will be abusive. And pain and heartache comes from that. And then it goes on to disobedient to their parents. I just wanted to say that because, man, I feel it. <laughs> I never disobeyed my parents. I don't know where my kids get it. It must skip a generation. I, no, I'm kidding. But I've always thought that was interesting, even before I even had kids. And when I got serious about my faith, it's like it talks about all these things, about lovers of self, lovers of money, and proud and arrogant, abusive. And then it throws in disobedient to their parents. Really? And God continually reminds us in Scripture when I talk about this quite a bit because it just hits me between the eyes and in the heart so much. When we're going through lists of Scripture, you know, people will be sitting there saying, yeah, murderers, they're horrible people. You know, rapists, those are horrible people. And then it's like, gossips. Ah! You know, then he starts hitting my sin, right? And so he's talking about disobedient to their parents. That is what is a, is a sign of the end times, what we're living in right now. Then he goes on, he says, ungrateful, unholy. I believe ungratefulness, if that's a word. I believe the lack of gratitude is one of the greatest poisons that we can drink. And I, I drink it far too often. And many times the, the greatest pain that I have in my life and the greatest uh, hurts that I have in my life is because I've stopped being grateful and I've decided to rest in a spirit of ungratitude. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy as if you think everything's bad and you don't look at the gifts that you have, then you'll never see the gifts that you have. And there's a quote that's attributed to uh, Anonymous. Anonymous was quite a poet, weren't they? It says, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. When you're struggling with feeling like you don't have enough, just give thanks for what you do have, and pretty soon your lack of gratitude will turn into realizing that you have enough. He goes on in verse 3. He says, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Now I want to spend just a couple moments on some of these as well. Let's look at unappeasable. That was interesting to me. It carries the idea in the Greek of nothing is good enough. 
just what the word unappeasable means, but just so you know, it means the same thing in Greek. And it gives you the idea of this. This was what was really interesting to me. Not being able to be persuaded to enter into a covenant. Do you catch that? Not being able to be persuaded to enter into a covenant. The interesting thing is that you and I are in a covenant relationship with God. You know, you've heard of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. You also have the New Testament or the New Covenant. We are part of the New Covenant, and that is our relationship with God. So if you and I are unappeasable, that means that we cannot be persuaded to do what? Enter into a relationship with Jesus. And I thought that was an interesting choice of words, is that we struggle with being unappeasable. Have you ever run into anybody who cannot be pleased? Don't point at your spouse. <laughs> they can get many laughs because a little too close to home am i right um what we do is we struggle with being able to be pleased and that comes also from the idea of gratitude or lack thereof he goes on and he, he mentions slanderous this was another one as i talked about earlier about those lists of sins that really kind of hit me in the heart this word translated in the english standard version slanderous if you look carries the idea of malicious gossips malicious gossips and okay get this when you go and you look up i'll tell you guys a really cool tool it's a website that anybody can get or an app anybody can get it's called blue letter bible if you want to look into it if you look into it and you can't understand it I, i don't know a lot about it but i figured out a few things and i'd be glad to walk you through it at some point But Blue Letter Bible has an interlinear Bible, which shows you the Greek or the Hebrew, if you're looking at Old Testament, the Greek word equivalent for what the English word is. And when you look up the Greek word where it says slanderous right there, or malicious gossip, or something like that, whatever your translation says, do you know what the Greek word is? Diabolos. You ever heard of Diablo? Means devil. In, first, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, what I referenced at the beginning of the message where Paul says so that they won't be pulled away by the slanderer or the, the devil. Do you know what Greek word that is there? Diabolos. What we need to come together in our brain is, is that if we are wrapped up in gossip, we are being just like the devil. The same word is used to say devil and gossip or slanderer and so we need to make sure that what we're talking about people how we're talking about people and how we're talking to people is to build them up and for restoration and for repentance if you're talking about somebody else's problem it needs to be so they can be restored or repent and let's be honest we know what which is which is the difference and which is which We need to be encouraging one another and building one another up. And sometimes, yes, calling things out as they are and pointing out the truth. But it needs to be so that they can be restored and that there can be repentance in their life. And when we get caught up in slander, it is a a, a murderous thing that ties us to Satan himself. Going on in verse 4. It says, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I want to pause for just a quick second on that last phrase, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is us, isn't it? As people living in the 21st century, this is us. We 
that defines us, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Yes, it's been around for thousands of years, but we are wrapped up all in that. We want the easy road instead of the difficult road, as I talked about earlier. And too many of us, too many times, myself included, we've been ready to trade away an eternity of joy for a moment of pleasure. We trade away an eternity of joy for a moment of pleasure. Because we have become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we would rather have a few moments of pleasure on this earth, even though we understand God says don't do it. He says don't live that way. We'd rather say, I'd rather have these few moments of pleasure and then worry about the eternity that I could be sacrificing down the road later on. So let's not be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But here's where it really gets imperative, impertinent that we pay attention as Paul continues on. Because he says, not everyone who claims to follow God is. Look at verse 5 with me. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. What we have to wrap our minds around is that there are people who claim to be teachers of God's word. And many of them have large followings and they appear to be godly, but there's a possibility that they are not what they seem. And they may not have any followers. I'm not saying it's just people who have big followings, but we need to understand that there are people who claim to be teachers of God's word, but they are not. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Because what we have to do is dig into the scripture and, and we, we have to understand what God is saying to us and live it out as we heard last week put so well. Live out the truth of God's word. It's more than just knowing knowledge and facts. It's living it out and not ignoring part of scripture because it makes us uncomfortable or it makes our way of life more difficult. But understanding and laying ourselves out in face of all of the scripture Listening to teachers who don't teach the entire truth is dangerous. I remember years ago being told, in regards to things like that, a lot of Christian books and writings and, and teachers and preachers, I used to hear people say, well, even if somebody doesn't get everything right. Now, you understand, I'm speaking a little bit in exaggeration here. We know nobody's perfect. I'm not saying that. But... When it comes to teachers that publish a lot of material, people say, well, you know, I'm not going to read that. And then some people say, well, you can read it, but it's just like eating fish. You have to pick out the bones and eat the meat. Does that make sense? You know, you pick out the good stuff and ignore the bad stuff. But then somebody else told me a little nugget of truth that I thought really resonated. And they said, well, sometimes you may end up choking to death on a bone. And I'm, I'm leaving that with you, what you want to do with that. 
But what I am saying is be cautious in what you consume when it comes to spiritual knowledge. You need to hold everything through the filter of God's word, including what I say. You need to hold everything through the filter of God's word to make sure that it is the truth as far as is possible. And maybe if you have a relationship with a certain person that's not teaching something correct, hopefully you can go to them with the word of God and hopefully there will be repentance. But if not, you need to be careful of that person because what he says is they have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. And then he goes even farther. He says something very succinctly and clearly right there. He says, have nothing to do with them. Avoid such people. But that's not what we often do. We say, well, I really think they're entertaining. And their worship band is killer. You know, so I'm going to keep listening a little bit. Now, I know what they said is not true. It's not biblical, but I'm going to keep listening because I'm going to pick out the bones, throw them away, and I'm going to eat the meat. Well, you might end up choking to death on a bone. And if they continually won't listen to what Scripture says and they change what Scripture says, you need to make sure that you avoid them. Paul says avoid them. He says that they're always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth He is talking about spiritual leaders here that are always learning, always soaking up knowledge, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. There are people who consume mass amounts of teaching, but the teaching isn't biblical truth, so they miss it. They miss the truth. Can I I make this really practical so it's not so ethereal, what I'm saying, and just so broad, and it's easy to throw out? I've, I've owned many and I've used many and I've still from time to time used many study Bibles. You know, study Bible has the basic text and then it'll have little paragraphs and little things about, you know, well, let's look into this subject. I've seen a lot of people who have gotten misled because they equate the scripture with the study notes. You see what I'm saying? What we have to understand is the study notes are added by people. And can, can, can be right, can be right, don't get me wrong. It can be right, but it also can be wrong. And I have seen people reject biblical truth because the study notes confirm what they wanted to believe. And I've said, well, look at this passage of Scripture. And they say, but look here at the bottom of my Bible. And I'm like, no! <laughs> not Bible, Bible, not Bible, Bible, <laughs> you know? But because it's enclosed in the binding, they think it's all the same. But it can very well be one of these men or women who are always studying but have never arrived at the knowledge of the truth. And we don't want to be misled by that. If the study notes contradict Scripture, the notes are wrong. If the study notes contradict Scripture, the notes are wrong. Get rid of them. Ignore them. As Mike said last week, Christianity is not merely an intellectual exercise. It's living the truth that we learn as well. And if the life doesn't match up in what we're doing or what people are doing, we need to be careful of those teachers. He says, if their life doesn't match up, it's time to look deeper. And Paul talks about these teachers who mislead people. In essence, he's saying, keep your eyes open. Keep studying. Keep looking. If you know the truth You'll see them for what they are. He says it will show up. Give it time. And the reason, let me tell you why I'm so passionate about this right now. 
I've been listening to some podcasts and I've been watching the news over the past, it seems like it's become more prevalent in the past four or five years. But leader after leader, Christian leader, seems to have fallen by the wayside. Some have gotten caught up in immorality and we find out that they had massive amounts of sin going on in their life that they weren't addressing. Everybody sins, but they weren't addressing it. They were covering up and they were hiding it. And then it all crumbles and falls apart. But then you see another movement that's taking place, and it's called deconstructing. Have you seen that? Where people who are deconstructing their faith and walking away from the faith. And these were people that sold millions of books about how to be a Christian. And sold, you know, and have millions of followers on social media. And have millions of people who listen to their messages. But now they don't have faith anymore. And I feel like this happens so much because we put so much emphasis on the people who teach and not the scripture they teach. And as I've listened, there was one podcast in particular that I was listening to. And it was talking about, you know, well, they, they, they were part of this council and this council and this council. And what I want to say is this, and please hear, please hear my heart. I could care less about councils. I care about Christ. And part of me wants to shout. Now, I've looked up to people in the faith that have let me down. And there have been people who've looked up to me and I've let them down. But I wanted to say, it's like, I wish that somebody hadn't told you that a council of people getting together and voting about what the Bible says doesn't negate or prove the Bible true. It doesn't matter what a council says. It doesn't matter what an organization says. It doesn't matter what a certain preacher says. If what they are saying doesn't match the scripture, they're wrong. And maybe we wouldn't have so many people walking away from the faith because this certain person, this certain figure walks away from the faith. If they had instead put their faith in scripture and faith in Jesus, then maybe they wouldn't be quite so disheartened. And so what I'm saying to anybody here is if you're finding yourself following after personalities and and councils and decisions that people get together and discuss and vote, just run away from that and make sure you go in Scripture. Dig into Scripture and and trust what Jesus says. Now, I'm bringing this thing to a close, believe it or not. (laughs) But, man, this has been on my heart. You look and you see that these last days are scary. If it's like the demon-possessed guy, that's the word that she's described as scary. And it can almost make you feel hopeless. It's like, man, is everybody giving up? Is everybody walking away? Is anybody believed? Does anybody believe that sin is sin and that Jesus can save us from all of it? Does anybody believe that stuff? And there are Bible teachers who are fake. And, you know, I mean, it seemed like, I mean, they've got millions of people who listen to them. They've got to be right. And it's just overwhelming. And... Who are you listening to? They might be leading you astray. They might be steering you the wrong direction. And it almost feels hopeless. But what do we do? So Paul draws Timothy back here. And I believe God's drawing you and I back. The key to standing before Jesus one day, not ashamed as you stand before him, is this. Bible and brotherhood. Now, I'm not trying to exclude women here. I'm a preacher and I like alliteration. Y'all got to forgive me. So I came up with this one. Scripture and sisterhood. (laughs) I just like the way Bible and brotherhood. That sounds right. We need God's word and we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
it may sound, what I'm saying, it may sound contradictory. I just said, don't put all your hope in people. But what I'm saying is you don't put scripture here and the people here. You put scripture here and the people here. Is that a dance? You know, you put scripture here, you look to scripture, you look to Jesus, and you put the people alongside you and behind you, pulling them up with you as you take another step forward. We need our brothers and our sisters, and we need the scripture, we need the Bible together. That's what keeps us standing strong, not ashamed before Jesus in these last days. He says in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all them the Lord rescued me. Paul says, he says, don't follow the crowd, follow me. He just said, you see all these false teachers that I've listed all these things and these, these, these sins that they get caught up in and these attitudes that get caught up in. He's saying, it seems overwhelming, but follow me. And I don't believe Paul was saying, okay, I'm way out in front. I think he's saying, I'm, I'm walking maybe just a step or two ahead of you. And I believe that's what we're called to do. Somebody has to take the lead. But let's not try to put ourselves so far out there or put people so far out there in place of Scripture. And Paul's saying, look, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like you don't know if you can stand anymore, just remember, I've stood in the face of persecution and you can too. I think that's what he's saying to Timothy, and I think that's what God wants us to hear, is that look for the faithful people. I I love what um, Mr. Rogers said years ago when he talked about uh, times of chaos and and things like 9-11 or things. He says, look for the helpers. Look for the people who are running into the flames, as we said earlier. Look for people who are, are standing strong and look for the people who even though they get knocked down, they get back up because Jesus is all they have and Jesus is all they need. Look for those people and if you can't find those people, start to be that person and I guarantee you'll see more. Keep being who God has called you to be and look to them. You can't do this Christian life alone. You cannot do this Christian life alone. We need connection. We need example. We need correction. We need mentorship. We need training. We need people to walk beside us and say, don't do that. Or do this. Or watch me. Or let's go do this together. We have to be a body if we are going to be the body of Christ. We can't be a part of Christ without being a part of the body. We need each other and we need that connection because life isn't easy. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. The truth is, if you want to live a godly life in Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to face trials. You're going to need people to walk with who have been there and done that, and they can carry you when you're weak. But my point is this. If you have separated yourself from the body, and you're not staying connected to the body, you're not going to have those people that can carry you and pick you up when you're falling down. What we tend to do is we say, okay, I've fallen and I can't get up, you know. But we don't have our life alert. (laughs) 
We don't have any connection with our brothers and sisters. And then what Satan normally does, that liar, that slanderer, is he says he gets you to blame the people who you left. Where are you? Where are you? Well, you left us. We didn't know you were in need. We didn't know you were hurting. And we tried to reach out to you, but you smacked our hand. Don't withdraw from your family, even when you're hurting, especially when you're hurting, draw near. Draw near and cling to one another because we need one another. You can't be carried if you're distant. You need brotherhood. You need sisterhood. You need family. But you need scripture too. It can't be all family and no faith. Look at verse 15, 16, 17. It says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings and which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As you live with believers, as you live with believers, brothers and sisters, you learn to live the truth in real ways. Until you're doing life with other Christians, you'll never ever be able to take these words from black and white and put them in here really well. You need to see people who are doing it and who have failed and who have gotten back up and repented and turned to God. You need each other. You and I need the Word of God because it says it teaches us, it proves itself, it corrects us, it trains us. But when we find our sweet spot, our stride, is when we pair the Word of God with faithful brothers and sisters to walk beside us and to show us how to live. World-class athletes like Usain Bolt, the track star, like Michael Phelps, like Michael Jordan, and I'll even say LeBron James, sorry. World-class athletes like these they don't just simply wake up one day and read the rule book of their sport and then become the best of the best. They might know the rules. They have to know the rules if they're going to succeed. I mean, if, you know, if LeBron, uh, that's not a good example. I was going to say if LeBron picked up the ball and ran with it, that would be wrong, but he does that. Um, if Michael Jordan had picked up the basketball and just started running like this down the court and never dribbled, he would be, you know, thrown out of every game eventually because, I mean, he's traveling, 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 traveling. You know, he knows the rules, but he didn't become the best of the best by just reading the book or reading somebody writing about how to be the best basketball player. He learned to be absolutely one of the best because he had coaches and teammates who pushed him and challenged him, who had been there before him and said, no, don't do it this way, do it this way. Let's take these steps of growth together. And you and I need that. We need our brothers and sisters to help us who have been there. They failed, they succeeded, and they're there with us and for us. Right now, we are in the process of trying to get these discipleship booklets real simple studies that lead through scripture we're trying to get them in the hands of people who are going to be our first rounds of coaches and eventually we want every single person in our church family to go through these things it's a little self-paced thing where you're just paired with a coach or a mentor where, you know, they'll send you a text or they'll give you a call and say, you got any questions or anything, you know, bring up any challenges for you or, or you can reach out to them and say, I, I need help understanding this or I, I need to know how to do this as a Christian. And so we're going to start doing that process because we want people to become the best they can be, not that they can earn their salvation, that's impossible, but so they can be the brightest shining light that they can be for Jesus. 
And so I want you to be praying about that, that you'll have the right heart and the right mindset. We want everybody to go. For some of you, it'll be repeat upon repeat, and you'll be like, I know all this stuff. But that's just going to prepare you to better be a coach to help somebody else get there. And so be praying about this. We'll be talking with you and sharing with you in the coming weeks about how to be a better follower of Jesus so other people can follow you and walk alongside you and point them to Jesus in the truth of Scripture. But the truth I want to leave you with is this. You need God's Word and your church family to stay strong and faithful. You need God's word and your church family so that you can stand unashamed before God on the day of judgment. But the question you got to answer before any of that gets resolved is who are you following? Are you following the example that we saw in the first part of the scripture? Are we following the example of people like Paul, people who have been faithful, who have been there and have done that, have gotten beat down, have gotten discouraged, but they got back up? following God's word with faithful people you need to be plugged in you need to be growing you need to be encouraging you need to be encouraged let's pray God we don't deserve to be a part of your family but you allow us to be freely part help us to stand strong and rely on one another when we are weak help us to allow ourselves to be picked up and help us to pick up others help us to be all that you called us to be God pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.